Hey everyone, welcome back to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. It always brings us joy to have you journeying with us as we learn more about what it means to create a more empathetic, compassionate, caring, kind, gentle, understanding, loving world. Thank you for subscribing, for following along, and including us in your journeys too. Here at Someone to Tell To, we have several goals. But simply, we want you to know that you have a story to tell, you are worthy of being heard, and that there are people who will listen. We want you to know that it's okay to feel what you feel, even if our feelings seem chaotic or complex or confusing at times. And naming our feelings, speaking them out loud, and exploring them with those who love us as we are, are all ways of growing. Today's episode is about exactly that, especially in the current situation we find ourselves in. Our guest Jane states in one of her recent blogs, we are all feeling unclear, uncertain, and unprepared. And it's okay to feel that way. It's normal. We cannot predict the future. We never really could. There'd be something amiss if we felt totally clear, certain, and prepared right now. But it's not just the situation that's driving our sense of chaos. It's also our assumptions about what we are able to feel, think, and do within it. I don't know about you, but I need that message right now. I need to be reminded that it's okay to simply feel. All kidding aside, I've grown to appreciate the phrase, all the feels. For those of us in leadership roles, which to varying degrees, includes all of us. Jane has much to say about emotional intelligence in this episode, what it means, what it can do to help benefit those around us, and how we can foster it. Though this was our first time meeting her, we felt like we were talking with a longtime friend. And now we consider her a friend. Since our conversation a few weeks ago, we exchanged books and resources, and we've been emailing back and forth to simply check in on one another. How necessary is that in the current situation we find ourselves in? And so with all that being said up front, we trust you will not only enjoy this conversation, but will benefit from it as together we make a difference where we are. So enjoy. Jane Adshead Grant of London, England, is an award-winning accredited executive coach with over 30 years experience in people-focused roles. She loves to help organizations develop people-centric cultures, to explore their current thinking and behaviors to develop new insights, skills, and experiences. Clients she has worked with have included Deloitte, Rothschild, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, UBS, Towers Watson, and many more. Jane believes that you have the resources within you to achieve what you want for yourself. She recognizes that some of these resources remain untapped, in fact, even hidden, and to uncover what is within to achieve more. She believes that to listen, to truly listen, is a gift both to the listener as well as to the speaker. She believes in abundance and she believes in sharing. She believes there is an opportunity for everyone. 
She believes in gratitude, to be grateful for the people in our lives, the experiences we encounter, and the beautiful nature of the world. Even if some of these are not what we would have wanted, she believes everyone and everything we encounter has something to offer us as a way of learning. Jane was listed as one of the most influential women to watch in 2019 by Insight Success Magazine and the best executive coach for 2016 and 2017 in Southeast England by Corporate Vision Magazine. Jane is the author of Are You Listening? Are Just Waiting to Speak? Jane is also the mother of two teenage daughters. So Jane, we welcome you to the Someone to, to Tell It To podcast today. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me and I'm delighted and looking forward to our exchange today. Wonderful, well, we'll start you off. The first question, in a blog about the uh, current global pandemic uh, that you entitled Meeting Chaos with Calm, you wrote this, we are feeling unclear, uncertain, and unprepared. And it's okay to feel this way. It's normal. We cannot predict the future. We never really could. There'd be something amiss if we felt totally clear, certain, and prepared right now. But it's not just the situation that's driving our sense of chaos. It's also our assumptions about what we are able to feel, think, and do within the chaos. So Jane, we'd like you to please say more about this, about what you mean by this for everyone who's joining in with us today. Thank you. Well, you know, Michael, in my experience of coaching others, what seems to drive their uh, sense of uncertainty and the things you spoke about um, earlier in this chaos is the assumptions that they hold either about themselves or other people or indeed the situation. And in my experience, the nature of assumptions are that they're either true, untrue, or possibly true. And what often holds us back from, you know, relating and, um, you know, being effective in, in this world we find ourselves in today is that we live an untrue assumption as if it's true. For example, I was coaching uh, one of my clients who, interestingly enough, is, lives, lives in the US. And coming to one of my co our coaching calls, she shared with me how she was feeling a high level of anxiety and was wanting to be free of that. And one of the things that was getting in the way was, well, a lot of things were the assumptions that she was holding about herself being unsafe and the lack of certainty of knowing what her role was, was going to be post uh, this pandemic because of the structural changes in the organization. But discerning what, what, which of the assumptions that was most holding her back and then replacing that limiting assumption with more liberating one is what helped her move forward, to feel more confident in herself and to seek clarity, i.e. to be clear on what she did know in terms of focusing on what was within her span of control and influence. And this is, was, was the difference of being able to navigate the chaos with more calm by challenging some of those limiting assumptions. We'd love to just learn a little bit about how you've been navigating the chaos. 
Well, it's an interesting journey. Um, I think, uh, and I wrote in a, a, another blog post actually around my earlier thinking and feeling about it, whereas I was really in this kind of sense of helplessness, Tom, in terms of, you know, feeling a real sort of sense of gratitude for living where I live and being safe and well and, you know, living with our family together here. Uh, and then on the other hand, this sense of helplessness of how could I, what could I do more of to help those people who were suffering and in pain? And I was really struggling with that. And it was keeping me awake at night until I decided to begin to ask some of those questions for myself in terms of what was I assuming about myself, others in the situation, and discovered that actually what I was doing was focusing on you know, the, the people in my span of care, my, my close family, my broader family, my mom and dad and stepfather and what they needed right now, my brother, and being able to support them through this crisis, through regular listening, uh, every other morning having calls with them. Um, and so that was one part of navigating this, this piece. And I suppose the other thing that I needed to do was to start to really pivot my own business, to move it wholly into the online space which I hadn't done before. I'd been used to having some coaching clients, those I coach around the world for, for sure over the Zoom platform, but not in delivering some of my training programs online. That's something that it was a, a bit of a challenge to get my head around. Sounds very similar to our journey. We were actually just talking with a few of our board members yesterday on a call that we've always done some online work uh, utilizing Zoom and other platforms, particularly with our listening side of things. But in terms of the training, that has been an evolution for our organization. And this is something that we've always had on our hearts and knew that we would be headed in that direction eventually. But I think COVID's kind of kicked us out the door, uh, maybe a little sooner than we anticipated. But it's been it's been really good. And it's been rewarding. And one of the things that we've been joking about is that I think if there's ever a time that people are giving extra amounts of grace in terms of utilizing technology, it's right now. And so it's, it's nice to be able to kind of be in this, uh, this, this arena where we're able to practice until, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but it, it's, uh, people are just are, are far more understanding at this point from what we've found. Oh, likewise, I've seen a huge, increase in compassion on that very point whether it's the frustration with technology when it doesn't go well sometimes and really capitalize on the opportunity that it does provide we'd like to take just a moment to thank our premier sponsor for the someone to tell it to podcast the wonders found thrift shop in harrisburg pennsylvania we are so grateful for their support, for their advocacy, for these messages that we share with you today and every day. So thank you. We also want to encourage you, if you are interested in helping to support these podcasts, you can do that yourself too by going to patreon.com and signing up and saying what you would like to do on a regular basis to help someone to tell it to continue these podcasts, to help them grow, and to reach more and more people around the world. Yeah, 
and we, we live in fear, as we mentioned to you before we got on here, of, of the technology not working and losing an interview once we do it. So we're always hopeful that uh, everything works, but we also appreciate that people just understand right now because, you know, this is a common, common thing and we're all learning together, you know, how to do this better. Well, you go on to write in this blog that uh, we first referenced that you say that uh, some of us feel we have to hold it together for others. And then you write in parentheses, I know I do. <laughs> and, um, and then you say some of us feel it's okay to wear our heart on our sleeve, no matter who is present and what impact we might have on them. Some of us assume we have no control over anything. Some assume we can influence the situation in our own small way. Some of us find our actions, however small, can make a bigger difference than we ever dreamed of. Many of us assume we are helpless in the crisis, and yet by staying home, we're saving lives. We always have a choice. This crisis has constricted our choices. I think that that's a really, uh, I think, insightful thing that it really has in so many ways. But some of our most important choices, you're going to write, are still available to us. The reality is that everything we know is being deconstructed. And the hope is that we can grasp this as an opportunity to recreate a new way of being, thinking, and acting with each other globally, in our workplaces, across our communities, and within our families. We just think that's just, again, very insightful and very wise for you to, to write these things and to understand these things. And that's another, and that's another part of grace, the grace that, ta that Tom talks about. It's just grace with each other because none of us have been in this situation before. None of us have experienced this kind of global, you know, global pandemic and knowing what to do and, and what the future is going to bring and, and even what tomorrow will bring. We may hope, but we just really don't know. And so we're all navigating this in many ways in the dark. <laughs> how, do you, how do you help people to navigate it with more, maybe some more confidence, more hope, more, more reassurance? I mean, do you have any words of, <laughs> of wisdom that you can say how we can navigate this? Well, you know, Michael and Tom, it's going to be no surprise to you that what I'm going to share is something that's dear to your heart as well, which is our capacity to listen. Um, in my experience, when we listen with a palpable respect for what an individual is saying and where they may go next, is something that says to them and shares with them to know that they matter. And when someone feels that they matter, that they're valued, they themselves begin to add more value to themselves. And this in sense helps them, in my experience, think more clearly with more courage and creativity to, to your point, navigate the, the, circ the circumstance and chaos we, we're in. And so what I would say to that is, one of the gifts that we can give as a coach, as a mentor, as a leader, as a parent, is to, listen free from interruption free from judgment to allow those motor neurons and mirror neurons of empathy to emerge and when we do that that seems to well i know in my experience witness what i witness it liberates the thinking and the mind of the person in front of us 
And of course, in order to listen in that way, and I call it a generative listening, generative, gener to generate the best thinking in others, we also ask questions to help liberate the mind. And that's one of the things we've noticed. It seems that the mind works best in the presence of a question. And so therefore to help somebody think for themselves as themselves in navigating the situation which we find ourselves in my experience is one of the most dignifying and respectful things we can do for another. One of the reasons that we have been so attracted to your work is because you talk extensively about this topic of emotional intelligence. And we, in the last couple months, have added an extra piece to our online training dealing with emotional intelligence because we realized that that, that goes hand in hand with good listening. And maybe we'd love for you just to talk a little bit about how you see those two and their interface. Well, I think listening is a huge part of emotional intelligence. And when we think about, you know, what do I mean by emotional intelligence? My studies in the field of, of EQ, emotional intelligence, was with Dr. Ruvon Baron. And he would describe it as a cross-section of interrelated and social emotional competences, skills, and facilities that enable us to understand and express more of who we are as an individual and to understand and relate more to others and to be able to deal effectively with the complexity and challenges that life throws up for us. And so for me, uh, listening is a key part of emotional intelligence. Listening shows up in our capacity to make good decisions, our capacity to relate to one another, and in my experience, it deepens our relationships. Listening helps us to better manage our impulse control for want of a better word. And listening with empathy helps to let other people know that who they are and what they do matters. And of course, listening is one of the most profound skills in helping other people solve their own problems and grow themselves as human beings. So for me, there's a, a real direct link between our capacity to listen and the fundamentals of, of emotional intelligence. How do we gain the skill or the gift whatever word is best used for that of emotional intelligence how do we develop that in ourselves well i love that question because for me it depends it depends you know what kind of learner are you so for some of the listeners there'll be individuals out there that will want to go and research and learn more about the facts and experiences of emotional intelligence and and so um, again, I studied with Dr. Ruvon Baron and um, there was a beautiful book that accompanied that, uh, that program that's called The EQ Edge, written by Stephen Stein and Howard Book. And I love the practical applications in that book, lots of stories of individuals and how they can develop their components of emotional intelligence. Of course, we have Daniel Goleman, who was probably the most famous a gentleman to bring emotion intelligence to the popular view and he's written some superb articles around emotion intelligence work and in our personal lives both articles and of course his books too and more recently susan david writing her work around emotions agility and again uh, a wonderful way to think about uh, emotion intelligence being more about our, our agility so that's one way another way is to take an assessment 
Um, there's the EQI, which is a very powerful, I love it because it's a very practical tool, taking an online self-assessment of, you know, where am I now in my emotional intelligence skills and what's been my platform of success that's enabled me to, to be where I am today in my relationship with others and capacity to, to respond to the challenges that life presents to us. And then, of course, there's the um, and, and working with a coach to help you through that assessment cycle to, to forward your development areas. And then there's the very then there is also the more practical, you know, for your listeners today. Well, what is one thing I could do right now to develop my emotional intelligence further? And so for those of you who who like that preference, I would say simply start noticing. Start noticing how you respond to situations. Noticing the emotions you have. Are you filled with joy? Are you frustrated? And then label that emotion. And then start to think about what were the triggers that generated that emotion for you? And so for example, it might be a being triggered and therefore you've just reacted with impulse. You haven't listened to the other person. You've simply reacted rather than taking that moment to pause and to think how you'd like to respond in that, in that time. Another way is perhaps to you know, reconsider how flexible you are in terms of your capacity to adapt to the change we find ourselves in. Are you choosing to stick rigidly to the way that you always did things? Or are you able to, to pivot? And as Tom just said, for example, to rethink about how you offer your training online that's our capacity to be flexible and adapt to the situation, another mark of emotional intelligence. So those will be a few ideas of how we might begin to learn more about developing our emotional intelligence. One of the things that we, we find is sometimes we have to, as Michael mentioned, kind of um, feel our way through the dark and, 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 and sometimes looking at ourselves in the mirror, so to speak, and having to take a, a good hard look at some of the, the ways that we fall short as leaders. And I think in, in one of our trainings in, in a healthcare community, we actually had passed around a mirror at the beginning of the training to have everyone literally take the mirror and look at themselves with this thought in mind, this is an opportunity for me to grow and to expand. And, and that might mean that I, might see some things that I don't appreciate about myself, that, that I have some work to do. And we'd like for you to talk just a little bit about what do you see happening in some organizations and individuals when emotional intelligence isn't present? Yeah, well, in my experience of working with leaders, where it's not present is they leave this kind of emotional wake behind them. And in fact, I experienced it myself um, as a recipient of that emotional wake on my very first job in the city of London some 33 years ago when um, I worked on the executive floor for the chief executive's office uh, as a junior secretary. And every Monday morning uh, he would come out of the lifts on the sixth floor in the corner of the room, preceded by Peter, his chauffeur. Peter used to carry the two big suitcases, often bulging because he'd taken all the work home with him. But as we sat there with bated breath, 
waiting to see how our chief executive would be walking onto the floor. We knew how the rest of that day would go. Either he would be walking through with a smile on his face and asking people, just generally connecting with them and saying, hi, how was your weekend, very generously. And other times he'd be walking with his face down, straight through the room, not acknowledging a single person. And what we knew through that experience was that was not the Monday morning to knock on his door and to ask for, for anything, because what you experienced would you just get your head shouted down. And so in my experience, when the emotion intelligence is not present, it's when leaders um, are unaware of the impact of their behavior on others. And what this causes is a lack of engagement, low morale, um, people are not feeling uh, inspired to be their very best. So it can have huge ramifications, both for the individual and also for the organization. We, um, <laughs> we, we, we painfully remember an experience we had uh, with that about a year and a half ago. We uh, were, our, our, someone that tells you was uh, scheduled to do a, a listening presentation to an, uh, to an organization early in the morning. And um, we, we were not, uh, Tom and I were not necessarily the ones scheduled to do it, but the person in our organization who was had an illness and could and kind of the night before the the day before and was not going to be able to do it so we had to scramble quickly to get ready make a presentation that we hadn't been prepared to make and and we so that we we did it worked hard got there early the next morning and the ceo of the of the organization was leading the meeting and we came in and handed him the powerpoint you know the the uh, the uh, flash drive that we were needed for a powerpoint and immediately he said why didn't i have this earlier and we said we didn't know we were doing this until until yesterday and it's you know we we had to quickly prepare you know quickly prepare it and he just was very unhappy with us and he made sure he let us know that so it made for an awkward presentation <laughs> to, to, to be to be certain we were unnerved and you know a little bit scared and thought we're never going to be invited back and 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 all of this well you know it actually went pretty it went pretty well and the uh the the person right under the ceo who had invited us and you know worked with us uh, to get there actually was very happy and praised us and and then they ultimately had us back three or four more times uh last year to to present but we could see this underlying tension among the staff and it came up um you know in in various ways uh, that that the ceo was didn't seem to have a lot of emotional intelligence and it, it created some difficulties there uh, then um oh several months later after our last engagement uh we ran into this other person um who had invited us and really seemed to like us who told us so well the ceo is gone and there was a look of and a, and, a, and an expression of and that's really good <laughs> so so we want to have you back <laughs> and um and and so because we recognized that we actually thought that person had a lot of emotional intelligence that's why she wanted us there because she recognized that the team needed 
to understand this, needed to understand how to listen better, how to how to interact, how to have more empathy, how to, you know, because they were providing a very important and personal service for people. So it's just, we've run into this a number of times where often, you know, sometimes the people in charge just don't have it. And we see the, we see the effects of that on the organization. Yeah, Michael, I've experienced that as well. And, and, you know, I do see some real silver linings emerging from this crisis because it has absolutely um, helped people become much more aware of how more compassionate and have more empathy they need to have where their teams have had to work from home, how do they engage people from a remote basis. Um, And also what I noticed is that certainly in the clients that I work with, whilst their sort of intellectual capacity, their knowledge, um, their uh, appreciation of the systems and processes, as they move into a leadership role, a leading of people, they need to build what I would call the courage building skills of emotional intelligence, the capacity to listen, the capacity to inspire, the capacity to grow people, and the capacity to connect as a human being uh, with one another. And often I get to invited in to coach um, senior leaders in, in really in that gap that they haven't yet had the opportunity to develop that. For one of the reason is that their training, whether it be through business school or executive leadership programs, they've always more tenderly to focus on the strategic, the technical, um, the governance models, rather than these skills that you and I are talking about today. Yeah, and, and like the CEO, we've often read that people are often hired for jobs because their intelligence their knowledge of facts and systems, their education, their mastery of a subject, but they are fired from their jobs because of a lack of emotional intelligence, how to get along with others, how to be supportive and encouraging, how to treat people with empathy and respect. Has that been your experience as well? Do you know, it has. And I think what I'm grateful for now is that we're beginning to see a shift where organizations are recognizing that culture um, the culture that leaders create because I believe that all cultures local so where an, where an organization perhaps can set its ideal culture of the way we treat people the way we um, serve our customers the way we offer our employees in reality that culture is local depending upon the individual leader in that that's that business and what I notice is that I am called in to coach as I mentioned earlier coach leaders to 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 be get, to be into sorry to begin to create um, a more human focused culture, one that celebrates individuals for who they are, one that inspires a performance, a higher performance from their team members, and it's these yeah these courage building skills that leaders need in order to grow their leadership and also stay in their role because you're spot on, Tom. Otherwise, the team members won't sustain it, and the business won't sustain it, and team members will not perform at their best if we don't have our emotionally intelligent leaders. There's an article that, that we found. Have you ever heard of Fast, or Fast Company? 
so they came out with an article and I'm just going to read the beginning to you and, and we'd love to talk about it a little bit. But according to studies carried out by Development Dimensions International, DDI, empathy is the single leadership, single biggest leadership skill needed today. According to Richard Wellens, Senior Vice President of DDI, being able to listen and respond with empathy is overwhelmingly the one interaction skill that outshines all other skills. We love that. Other re research has backed up DDI findings. Empathy is a universal team value that promotes high commitment and cooperation in the workplace. Some companies believe that empathy is so important that they send messengers to empathy training, hence why I think we're all in business right now and why we, our, our missions continue to grow. And then according to the Wall Street Journal, 20% of employers now offer empathy training, which is substantially up substantially from 10 years prior. And, uh, and then they go on to list just five um, results when there, when there isn't empathy in the workplace, you know, people not sticking around, as we've talked about, people leaving, uh, people not fulfilling their, their maximum potential. And um, yeah, I would just love to talk a little bit about that. Well, I think it's a wonderful study and it would replicate my own experience, Tom. And I think um, when people feel valued, I, they have had their opportunity to share their thoughts and feelings where someone has listened to them um, with, the, with the idea to really hear not only what the facts are in terms of what they're saying, but also how they're feeling. And for me, um, listening with empathy is, is about valuing people. It's about being able to notice um, through the intricacies of the way their faces are as we listen to an individual, um, those eye movements, those, those, and the body language in terms of the, the nonverbals to help us pick up the cues of how somebody's feeling. And when we acknowledge through empathetic listening, not only what people have said in relation to the facts, but also how they're feeling, this is the significant difference between other kinds of listening, whether it be active listening or reflective listening. And so the capacity to be empathetic, I think generates greater trust. I think it helps people, as I mentioned, feel more valued. And, and that leads to greater performance because when people feel good and valued, they're able to give more of themselves. So I really relate to that. So, you know, according to that article, why do you think it's taken so a company so long to kind of get on the bandwagon here. Yeah, well, that's a million dollar question. And I think, <laughs> <it's> because, <laughs> I, think, I think it's because they've been for so long focused on the bottom line. And I think about my own journey through, you know, working in the corporate environment for the last 30 plus years is that certainly when I began in my career, it was all about who could earn the most, generate the most revenue, and it didn't matter how the leaders in the businesses behaved towards their people. Um, and I've had the privilege of the last few years working closely with Bob Chapman, who you may or may not have come across, you know Bob. So, you know, as a real um, pioneer of this, this culture of truly human leadership, where Barry Waymiller, you know, they teach, like you're saying, other companies teach a, a class, a communication skills class, which comprises of empathetic listening and other um, communication skills as well. But it's this, um, I think the reason why companies have taken so a long time to get to it is because they've been too focused on, you know, being a results driven organization. 
um, focusing on the bottom line, focusing on generating economic value, which is important because we have to generate that value in order to create livelihoods for the people that we're lucky enough to have work in our business, but not at the expense of generating human value. And I think the skills of empathy and listening and care are those that drive human value. And that's the, what we're beginning to see more of. And of course, through the wonderful leadership, mainly female leaders, I have to say, in countries such as New Zealand and Denmark and Germany right now, where even in this, this kind of pandemic, we've seen a lot more empathetic leadership emerge as being a real sign of goodness and value. But I think that's the reason why it's this kind of this focus on economic value as opposed to generating human value. We kind of need to do them both. Well, that's what uh, when when the 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 tension between the CEO that we had mentioned earlier, uh, that, that was the tension because he, he and he, he privately talked to us. He said, well, you know, my job is about the bottom line and we understand we understand that that's very important. But we, we believe that that the job not just of the CEO, but of everyone. Yeah, the bottom line has to be considered by everyone, but at the same time, in equal measure, at the very least, the personal aspect, the human aspect, uh, the empathetic and listening aspects need to be just as important and vital. And it's we don't believe it's either or, it needs to be both and. And, but we run up against this all the time too. You can see when we talk to various groups, you can see a lot of blanks, sometimes blank stares. <laughs> it's like, they don't really understand this. They've never heard this before uh, or really don't think this is important. And then there are others and what would we find our, our hope and our encouragement and reassurance is that all the people who we can see are getting it. They're nodding their heads, they're smiling. They come up to us afterwards and say that, we really appreciated that and need more of this and all of that. Uh, yeah, we, we, we just, you know, our goal is to help people see the, the need for both aspects. Absolutely. And in that. Yeah. And I think, you know, Michael, it speaks to um, creating this psychological safety, you know, this work that Amy Edmondson promotes so well. And, you know, even that it, it was in that lovely Google um, uh, Aristotle project when they, looked at all the key competencies that create a really high performing and successful team and one of which being psychological safety and that being very highly rated by individuals to be able to perform at their best they needed this sense of safety psychological safety and of course listening with empathy is the foundation for creating that yeah and this study that, that, that tom referenced earlier talked about that wrote about that that, that people are more creative when they are listened to when they there is empathy involved it's because they feel safe so it's okay to make suggestions that might be you know uh, out of the box it might be it's okay to, to 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 try to dream big and and think of things that maybe we've never done before it it's okay to take some risks and 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 you know to, if people know that they're safe in doing that 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 having these ideas and even trying these ideas and maybe some of them will fail but that's okay too knowing that that's part of growth and that's how we can develop and, and be stronger and but is having that safety to know it's okay to have those visions and and act upon them so in another one of your blogs we, we've been just 
feasting on your blogs the last couple of days. Uh, we'll be referencing them for, for a long time to come. But in one of your blogs called The Expert is a Vulnerable Explorer, which what a great title. You wrote that creating a sacred space for others to think for themselves as themselves is a gift of love. Enabling others to discover more of who they are and tap into a resourcefulness they may not have previously felt is a gift of love. Would you put that into context for us and tell us more about what it is and what it means to be a vulnerable explorer and creating vital environments for thinking? Mm. Well, actually that article was my about me in the sense that was me uh, being a vulnerable explorer because as a teacher of the thinking environment for others where I teach the skills, mindset, and what it takes to generate the best thinking in others with rigor, with courage, with imagination, and with grace, I was thinking, you know, people are looking up to me as the expert. Um, and therefore, I was really challenged by, I think I mentioned earlier, by this sense of helplessness in this crisis. And so that article is really about me um, willing, be willing to explore my own vulnerability. And so being a, a sort of vulnerable explorer is to say that, you know, as a leader of a business or in your field, um, to, to be willing to be vulnerable, to to ask some, some tough questions, or in my case, have also a thinking partner, someone who asks me these powerful questions in the presence of their attention, enables me to think more creatively, um, with more courage, um, and with much more freedom. And so for me, that, that, that sense of being a willing um, or a vulnerable explorer is really being able to, to challenge the assumptions that we might have about ourselves, each other, or the situation, um, and to, 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 to think about, you know, where in our world do we have uh, control, if you like, and capacity to influence and focus our energy on that. Where in the world do we not have, have control and to, to free ourselves from those areas that we have no control over. But I think it's also about um, understanding the gifts and talents and strengths we have and at the same time, acceptance, accepting, if you like, our weaknesses. And so that for me is what is about being a vulnerable explorer. And on the other hand, why I think it's essential more than ever now to create environments for people to think at their very best. Michael mentioned it earlier, is to liberate the creativity that we all have within us. And right now, we've seen so many wonderful examples. You know, I'm reminded here in the UK of, you know, when we give people the opportunity to think for themselves, you know, the Dyson it kind of remodeled its manufacturing away from cars to manufacturing, you know, ventilators as, uh, to help our, uh, you know, people in hospitals. We saw a, an amazing nine-year-old girl who worked in her grandparents' printing 3d printing factory where she watched what they did and developed for herself the mask out of cutting this plastic on the 3d printer all because you know people were interested in listening to other people's thoughts and ideas free of interruption and free of judgment so that they could bring their freshest thinking and breakthrough ideas uh, to the crisis and the problems that we were having right now so for me, creating thinking environments is, is critical because it liberates us. 
It enables us to solve challenges that we've never had before in ways that we've never had before. And all of this requires a, a deep attention to, to the thinking of another and this palpable respect in the way that we listen. And I refer to it as a generative listening, generating the best in others. I really like that phrase, generative listening. We, we're, we may have to steal that somehow, you know, <laughs> and use it because uh, we'll give you credit. But, but yeah, but, but we really, I, that's really significant and love that term very much. So thanks for sharing that with us. Being in the midst of COVID right now, as we had talked earlier before we, we started the episode, Jane, you were interested in learning a little bit more about my family, and we've obviously been doing some homeschooling, as a lot of parents have been. And, you know, we've all heard, heard the phrase growing up that there's no such thing as a stupid question. And then, obviously, the humorous side of things, that only stupid people who ask them. <laughs> but we don't, we don't say that out loud, because um, <laughs> uh, that's not the politically correct thing to say anymore. But anyways, uh, I also think that that same principle applies to creativity that there's there's no such thing as a a stupid idea i mean every idea potentially has significant value and so i think if i think you're right if we can create these contexts where people are able to imagine and dream and explore um you know who knows where we could end up Oh, it's so true. And, and this work that I refer to is generative attention and listening comes from the work that I, that where I studied with Nancy Klein, who is the pioneer of this wonderful work called The Thinking Environment, which is the author of, of several books and a new one coming out later in the year. And it's, and what we've witnessed, and certainly in the clients that I, you know, thousands of clients, I've spent thousands of hours creating these environments for them to think well for themselves as individuals and as teams, absolutely has generated real breakthroughs, um, you know, solving problems that they've never done before. I remember a client of mine through our work together, um, you know, thinking for herself and resolving the issue she had with her team. At the end of our program, she shared with me that she had had um, an uplift in her engagement school from her team members to 100%. Another client shared with me how he signed a deal um, with a, a major public sector um, body, which was worth over a million pounds to, to their company, purely because he shifted his way of engaging with them from telling them to asking questions and listening in this with this palpable respect and, and having a much greater interest in what they were saying and where they were going next. Very different to how he, how he was before. And so when we're offering this generative listening and creating these environments, it actually creates a significant difference to the bottom line as what we were talking earlier to Michael where the CEO was really interested in that. And so these are some of the statistics that we're also witnessing in the companies and individuals that I work with where they share the yeah, the impact on the bottom line is when you honor these courage building skills that we're talking about today. That's right. That's, that's significant. So, I didn't think of heading in this direction, but I'm just curious, um, you know, based on your responses, how do we sift through what are good ideas? Um, I know at someone to tell to kind of our mantra and our philosophy has been, there are no such thing as, as a stupid idea. Um, and so we, we really want to hear everyone's thoughts and perspectives, but our, 
um, way forward through that has been if we hear an idea in multiple places from multiple sources, that's when we really try to pay extra attention because that means that multiple people are seeing the same thing. Uh, as a quick example, over the weekend, one of our former uh, board members texted us in light of a lot of the uh, racial tension around the world right now. And she texted us and said, hey, have you guys ever thought about getting your training um, into the police force? And that has been something that we had thought about years ago. Uh, but now she's probably the third or fourth person who said that we should probably consider it. So it's probably a good time to start start seriously paying attention. And so we're just curious if you've had any other uh, insights about how to sift through what might be a, an extra special, uh, you know, an especially good idea. Wow, that's a wonderful question. And um, off the top of my head, I would say to you that is to go back to, is to think about your purpose and, and the kind of, you know, what is it that you want um, you know, for others to experience from you and, and actually what's the impact you want to have in the world. And then when we are, uh, uh, sort of align that with the values that you subscribe to, in my experience, helps better discern um, the decisions that we make and, and which to take forward. And so given what I've read and, and the short time of knowing you, um, I can imagine the significant impact your work would have in the police force, a little bit like you were saying earlier, uh, Tom, around working in hospitals. Um, and my experience is actually, whilst I personally haven't delivered the training of the thinking environment uh, within a police force, my colleagues and uh, other teachers have done here in the UK, and it's been so well received. And the thing that I loved in listening to the chief constable from this particular force just outside London, he was saying that the relationship between the police and the general public had significantly improved in the city in which they had developed because I had developed this training because um, the police had, had sought to relate and connect with the general public in a very different way through their capacity to listen generatively, to understand um, and to help uh, the uh, the general public or the, the you know the situation that they're involved in at the time um, to think through more clearly and creatively how to resolve it. So again, that was my experience of of it happening right here in the UK. Well, this same uh, person, this same uh, former board member and friend of ours who uh, texted us over the weekend, then yesterday, uh, I believe, uh, yesterday morning, sent us. Um, a clip, uh, a video clip of a sheriff uh, that, you know, who's also a, a law enforcement officer uh, in the state of uh, Michigan, in uh, one of the more prominent cities in that state, uh, encountered, they, they were having, as you know, we're having protests around the country because of uh, the, the killing of African American men here and, um, and women. And uh, there, there was a protest in his city. And the video showed him coming up to the protesters and instead of being there to block them or stop them literally said how about we walk together i will join you as you walk that was extremely impressive as opposed to standing there as an opponent as someone to stop and 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 regulate uh, inhibit 
uh, what was going on, he he recognized that they they needed to they needed to hear one another, and said, "I'll just walk with you." You know, and imagine we imagine then that the conversations they may have had along the way, and what and and just that act. First of all, was it was it was an act of courage, of vulnerability, um, on both sides, and an act that we hope will uh, will open up dialogue and trust between the two in many ways opposing what 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 are, are built as opposing sides and that the, these tensions all we would all of the tensions all of the tensions we would hope would be diminished and ended but that that was an act we thought that that um is a model to follow and we hope that it, it it really things like that can take can there can be more of those kinds of acts in these kinds of situations. I think that's I think that's wonderful, Michael. And thank you for sharing that story. And what that brings up for me is a message that I would love to share today with your listeners. Is because I've been thinking about it too, in, in terms of watching from afar what's been going on in America, and that I, my hope is that through developing greater empathy, our capacity to listen to one another, that actually it's the way we can meet disrespect with respect and the way that we can treat the undignified with more dignity and the fact that actually it's not the differences that separates us, it's rather the assumptions that we make about the difference that creates the tension Whereas if we could recognize that it's our humanity that brings us together, creates this greater connection, that's worth celebrating. And my hope is that we can look for more stories like this amazing sheriff in Michigan who walks accompanying side by side to one of the protesters. This is what I would encourage people to look for, is to look for the goodness in others because it's there. We just need to look for it. You say that so beautifully and well. <laughs> Thank you. It's very eloquent. Thank you very much. Well, as we kind of come to a close, um, one of the things that we've been we've we've started doing in the last couple of episodes is we love to do this uh, this exercise. We call it rapid fire questions, and so we'd love to just throw a couple questions to you and first thing that comes to your mind, just respond. It could be simple. It could be profound. It doesn't matter. It's just a, it's a fun uh, way of us getting to know you better and, and for our audience to know you better as well. Cool. Go for it. All right. Michael, do you want to start? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, the question I, I always love to ask people, what's bringing you joy today? Wow. Do you know, I'm so grateful for our children to be at home with them. And so I'm filled with joy every time I wake to, you know, to hear their thoughts and share their feelings. So it's our children once more. Well, we're only almost a halfway through 2020. What do you hope to see happen in the second half of 2020? Oh, lovely. What I hope is, is that we can sustain some of the goodness that we have witnessed coming out of the COVID-19 
that I hope we can see more compassionate leadership like we've talked about today, that there's a greater appreciation for our environment, and that people take greater make greater or intentional decisions about what they do and, and what they say to one another. We're always, um, uh, we love stories. And um, even though this is a, you know, these are short, short answers now, not necessarily story form, but you already mentioned some, you know, some signs of people doing things that are making situations better. What other, can you give, you know, two or three other examples, quick examples of where you've in the midst of uh, this current crisis or tensions that you've seen among, among people or divisions? Uh, certainly, certainly your country has had, you know, with Brexit and, you know, a lot of, a lot of tensions and divisions and separations too. Where have you seen, you know, these signs of, of people coming together, people listening, um, helping one another to find common ground? Well, a couple of things for me, one of which is our church. You know, one of the saddest things is we cannot meet together. Um, and yet we are all online and we have one of our pastors has created a prayer group online. And so people are coming together, some 80 people on a Zoom call on a Tuesday evening to pray for our brothers and sisters who have been um, sadly affected by the virus from a health perspective and even those from an economic perspective. So I'm always... Um, I'm thrilled to see the, how we can work better with technology to bring people together. I think another thing in my community more, um, you know, more succinctly, I guess, is that you know, we've been able to do some, my daughters and I have been able to shop for our neighbors, for example, those elderly people who um, are shielded. And so you know, when we drop off the shopping, it will be two meters apart, but they just love to talk and share with us and because they're not able to go out. So just having those moments to connect as human beings with our neighbors has been really, um, yeah, hugely fulfilling throughout this period. Mm. Yeah, one of the questions that we've been asking in almost all of our meetings is just what has been, um, been good? What, what has been positive through the virus? And then also what's been most challenging? And it's just been amazing to see people's responses and the level of vulnerability uh, just in asking those two questions. I'd like to ask one more question and it pertains to this interview. Um, you know, talking extensively in this interview about creativity, what, um, what are you creating or what would you like to create going forward? Oh, lovely. Well, I created a little book uh, during this period called Listen in the Pools. And gentlemen, I'd love to send you an online copy of it. Um, I do. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I'll, you. Definitely, I'll definitely do that. Um, it's, a, it's a short read, but it's my reflections of this period. It's more of a parable, really. Um, but what I am creating, I'm super excited about, is, is that I'm creating an online leadership program called Cared Squared. And it is, um, CARED is an acronym for the skills and um, uh, tools that I'm going to be sharing. And it's actually a very personal program. So um, it's really a, um, the life lesson, the leadership lessons of life that I have learned along my own journey. And also in particular as a parent, um, through my journey of, of coaching, you know, hundreds of leaders over the time. And also, as I said, as, as my life as a parent. And so I'm really excited about um, doing that and I've just hired my 18 year old daughter who's finished school as a summer intern and she's helping me create uh, some of the work 
that's going around that. So it's, it's a really exciting project. I can't wait to, to share more of it with the world. Wow, wonderful. So thank you, uh, Jane, Adsad Grant, we really appreciate you being with us today. This has been delightful. Mm -hmm. You, um, I think I'm speaking for both Tom and, and me, you speak our language uh, when it comes to empathy and vulnerability and listening and um, creating cultures where, where people are more creative and can take risks in safety. There's no, there, there's a lack of judgment. There's, they're just opportunities for people to grow and to be their very best. And that's what we yearn for. We know that's what you yearn for. And we appreciate other partners in this, um, in this mission like you who are doing this kind of work. So thank you for what you've shared with us today. Thank you for what you're doing and for the lives you're changing because we, um, we believe uh, that changes the world. And we're so grateful for you and for that. So thank you very much. Well, my pleasure. And I thank you too for the pioneering work you're doing, both uh, Tom and Michael. And it's been a real privilege to, to join you today and, and have our exchange. From the moment we first started to talk with Jane and um, listen to her, we found an instant connection. There was just so much that we had in common that we shared some very basic values. I think that empathy is so important as well as emotional intelligence. And that when we listen, her comment and her quote that listening liberates choice, that when we listen to others, we have more choices because we hear more, we understand more, we just have a greater depth of knowledge about what someone else is saying and it makes a difference. So we hope that you could hear some of that too and that you resonate with it as well. So we're just so grateful that we could um, talk with Jane uh, today and that we're grateful that you can listen. And we're looking forward to spending more time with her and doing some collaboration because uh, we really do think that we share so much in common. So we're grateful that you joined us today and we hope that you'll join us next time as well. If you like what you're hearing, what you're seeing, we invite you to donate to the Someone to Tell It To podcast because it costs money in order to do these things, to make the recordings, to do the editing. And if you go to patreon.com, patreon.com, uh, you, can, you can join there. Uh, a growing list of people who are supporting this work and these efforts, and we hope that you will. And if you, if you donate on a, on a regular basis, a, a monthly donation that you can make, you have the op opportunity to ask us questions that we will answer on podcasts and uh, say your name and direct the, the answers uh, right to you. So we hope you'll consider doing that. So we invite you back for the next, next time, and we hope your days are good until we join to listen again. Thank you.